Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. Please open your Bibles with us and join us as we study through the book of Psalms. For more information about our church, please visit our website at EdenWorshipCenter.co. Psalm chapter 3. Psalm 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you... O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is perfect. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a guide to our soul. And so we pray, would you, through the ministry of your word, speak to our heart, convict our heart. Encourage our heart. Enable us, O oh God, in this time to see in your word Christ, our great Savior and Redeemer, that we might be more faithful, more obedient, more eager in love to follow after our Savior because of this time we are spending together gathered around your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this, Let us hold fast. The NIV says, Hold unswervingly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This morning we are concluding our brief study in the book of Psalms. Our purpose over the last four months has not to dive into a comprehensive study of everything that is in the book, or even an expositional survey of all of the order and placing and groupment of the psalms within the book. Our, our aim has been to see the parts of the whole that are there, with a desire that seeing those things might strengthen each of us, might encourage us, number one, in our personal devotion to God. A personal devotion in reading the Psalms and finding strength and encouragement, but also in learning to pray the Psalms. Recognize the heart cry of the psalmist and then hearing the echo of our own hearts crying out to God. An encouragement for the family to be faithful in using the Psalms, whether, uh, again, it is in family worship on a regular routine basis or in those moments of difficulty and crisis and trauma when, as a family, we gather around God's Word for strength and encouragement. 
looking as well to the Psalms as therapy for your own soul. It's interesting in our day, uh, going through the difficulties that we face, so many people are willing to spend $300 an hour to sit down across from an expert to explain their own soul. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with talking through somebody, counseling, uh, although I would probably steer you towards biblical counseling rather than just secular therapy that has a completely different foundation. But How much more should we not be turning to God's inerrant word? Turning to the Psalms and finding within it, as John Calvin described, an anatomy of the human soul. Every part of our heart and mind and emotion represented on the pages of the Psalms. That in the Psalms, we might see the sovereign creator. Because we have seen that, we might trust his goodness and his power in your life right now. In the Psalms, we might recount the steadfast love and faithfulness of our God. In the Psalms, we might be reminded that he is king and that his kingdom is coming. It is an already but not yet kingdom. It, It is an already reality, and yet we don't yet see the fullness of his kingdom here on this earth. To know that there will be a day when every enemy will be defeated. And his people will rest in him forever. And you say, after four months, yeah, yeah, we get it already. Like we've heard this, it feels like the same sermon every single week for four months. And I would ask us the question, yes, but do we really get it? Like, it's easy to say that when everything is is going good for you, for me, in this moment. What happens when hard times hit? In those moments, where do you stand? Now, by the grace and glory of God, uh, we have seen families over the last couple years go through really, really difficult, hard, heartbreaking, traumatic things and stand, even though everything else is shaken with feet firmly planted on the rock of their salvation, Jesus Christ, to the glory of God. Here's what we've also seen. Hard times hit. And those who thought they had their feet on the rock are swept out to sea. My question is, where will you stand in deep tragedy and loss? When the unimaginable happens, when you're betrayed, when there's family disagreements, when there's church disagreements, when you're confronted in your sin, when someone sins against you, where will you stand? Are your feet planted upon the rock of Christ Jesus or are they on shifting sands? In Psalm 3 that we're going to be looking at this morning, we find David, the greatest king in all of Israel's history. The king who, more than any other, is a foreshadowing of Christ the king who was to come. The better David who was to come. We find him in this moment running from his throne. Running from his city. Running from his son, Absalom. We find the story in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. I would encourage you, go back and read it for the sake of time. We're not going to do that this morning. But you'll find a long soap opera type saga, beginning with multiple wives and concubines that David is bringing into this equation. And thanks to multiple wives, he has many different children who are his sons but share different mothers. One of them is Absalom and one of them is Amnon. Amnon falls in love with Absalom's sister, which would be Amnon's half-sister, Tamar, and 
rapes her, seduces her and rapes her, and David does nothing. He does nothing. He's, he's an inadequate father in that moment. And because of his inactivity, Absalom harbors hatred and bitterness and anger for years and years and years. When you read those chapters, track how many years. Two years here, five years here, three years here. Almost a decade has gone by before Absalom crafts a plan that he's been working on for murder and betrayal, but then it leads towards treason towards his father and a civil war, an attempted assassination that's coming for David. And so David says, let's flee. Let's flee from our city, from our throne. So we find in Psalm 3 that Psalm 3 is the first psalm that begins with a superscription. We've talked about this as we've studied the psalms at the beginning. You have uh, an editor's note. I'm looking at the ESV Bible here. And it has, save me, O God. That's the editor's note. It's basically a summary of what the editors, the compilers, believe this is about. But that's not part of the text. The text actually begins with a superscription, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Many of the psalms, we don't know what was happening in that moment. We don't know either who is saying it or why they're saying it, but this one is rather pinpointed, attached to a time in King David's life. His very own son is attempting a coup to take over the throne. If he does nothing, it will result in his son murdering him, assassinating him. And so he flees. He flees from Jerusalem, and he flees from Absalom. All right, kids, as we read this, one of the things we've been talking about in studying the Bible is we're looking for the clues that are in the text. So kids especially, one of the clues that we listen for is repetition. When it says something over and over and over. I'm going to read these first two verses, all right, kids, and I want you to tell me what is the word that gets repeated three times in here. Are you ready? Psalm of David, when he fled from Aslam, his son, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Kids, what's the word that's repeated? Many. What do you think it's saying? Many. Sometimes understanding the Bible is not complicated. He's saying there's a lot of them. It's not just one guy. It's not just my son Absalom who is coming against me, who's attacking me. It seems like it's everywhere. It seems like it's everyone around me. Now, the reality is we all have times of trouble. Some of those troubles are imagined. They're things that we've kind of worked on in our head and we get ourselves all worked up about. It's the what-ifs. It's the anxious worries that just seem to take over. Even even if we don't ever see it play out in real life, they're very real within our heart and mind. But sometimes the troubles in life are very real and tangible. David said three times in these first two verses that his problems, by the way, his problems are people trying to kill him, are many. In verse 1, the the word for many is different from the next two times that it uses it. The next two times, it just means many. The first time, it says it's multiplying. The actual word there means every time I turn around, there's more of them. It's this multiplication of evil and pain and suffering. 
One of the first psalms that we went through, the, the series of psalms, was the psalms of lament. Those that say to God, God, I wish it wasn't like this. I wish my life, I wish my world didn't look like this. And we saw within the Psalms of Lament this pattern. If you remember this, a cry of lament, a call to action, which is a prayer to God, and a confidence in God. Uh, Most of the time when we read things, the, the scale sort of descends, but we don't start at the top here. We're actually starting at the bottom. We're the guy barely clinging to the rock. We feel like everything underneath of us has been swept away. And I don't know how long I can hold on. It's in that time that we cry in lament to God. God, I wish it wasn't like this. But then as we move and ascend closer to God, you have a call to action. Oh God, it is you who can work in this situation. Until we reach that place of confidence in God. Uh, Look with me while that's still up there. Look with me at Psalm 3 and see this pattern. In verse 1, the cry of lament. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? They are rising up against me. The call to action. The prayer. Verse 7, arise, oh Lord. Save me, oh my God. Until you come to a settled confidence in God. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to my wisdom, my goodness, what I can do to fix this situation. My salvation belongs to God. My eternal salvation and my salvation in this moment. Oh, what a comfort it is for us to know that in our moment of trouble, God isn't asking you to put on some false mask that says everything's all right. Every time you show up to church, you have this little plastic smile that you put on. says, oh no, brother, oh no, sister, everything is good, it's wonderful. Praise Jesus, isn't he awesome? Well, he in fact is awesome. He in fact is worthy of our praise. But sometimes you feel like the guy barely holding on at the bottom. What a comfort that the Psalms give us a pattern, an honest cry of lament before God that says, I wish it wasn't like this. A call of prayer for God to act. God, I can't fix this. Only you can. And a trusting confidence in God's sovereign will, God's power, and God's wisdom. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes we bring those moments of trouble on ourselves. We'd love if we could just blame uh, other people and life situations and evil that's sort of out there, but sometimes it's our own sin and foolishness that brings it on us. It's when we refuse to listen to wise counsel and stubbornly demand our own way. Aren't you glad that's only the person next to you and never you who behave like that? Sometimes it's refusing to repent of our cherished sin. Oh, that which we secretly hold on to. Heedless of the consequences. Knowing that there are dire consequences that stand for those who rightly hold on to sin. Knowing that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But we don't care. That's one of the reasons that we looked at the Psalms of Penitence. As we mourn over our sin. As we repent and turn from our sin that calls us to an honest acknowledgement of sin, confessing your sin to one another, James 5.16. Putting our sin, and more importantly, our love of our sin to death, Colossians 3.5. And then replacing that love of sin, replacing that cherished part in our heart by putting on the righteousness of Christ that we find in Ephesians 4.23. 
24. But if you look back at Psalm 3, verse 2, he says, There are many coming for him, many seeking to destroy him, many making this accusation against him. There is no hope for him in God. Oh, how many times uh, have you, as you have languished in your soul, uh, sought to put off that which is of the old man, that, that which is sinful in your nature, and put on the righteousness of Christ, and yet it feels like from outside all around you is coming this message, there's no hope. There's no hope. There's no point to it. There's no purpose to it. There's no hope for you in God. Consider these accusers making this accusation against David saying there's too many of us and there's not enough of you, even God can't help you now. Oh, how frequently we believe that lie. Even God can't help you now. Here's another possibility. Maybe it's a taunt. Maybe God doesn't even want to help you. You're too messed up. You're too far gone. You're too broken. Now, here's, here's the reality Saints, we don't need other voices. We don't need the many to tell us that. We tell ourselves that all the time. You talk to yourself more than anybody else does. Oh, but weary Christian, consider that there was another who was despised and rejected by men. There was another for whom it seemed that everything and everyone was falling and crashing on him. What started with such high hopes is now coming down in defeat. He's being mocked. He's being scorned. He's being beaten. He's being crucified. And after the lash had ripped every inch of flesh from his body, after nails were driven through his hands and feet, pinning him to a wooden altar of suffering, bleeding and naked for all to see, here is what the many cried out about him. Matthew 27, verse 40 to 43. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. What are they saying? There is no salvation for him in God. God can't deliver you out of our hands and off of this cross. And God doesn't want you. He rejects your claims about yourself. But what does Christ say? Suspended on the cross, hanging between heaven and earth, he says those words that we're so familiar with. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first line from Psalm 22. One of the things we talked about several weeks ago when we went through some of these psalms is in that day and age there were no chapters and verses for the Bible. The way you reference something would be like uh, me referencing John 3.16. And all of you sitting in this room who are familiar with John 3, 16, know that that means more than just a name and some numbers. It means that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, shouldn't die in their sin, separated from God, hopeless. Oh, but those who trust in Christ should have eternal life. 
That's what Jesus does on the cross. He doesn't look to heaven and say to his God, with whom he has had eternal communion, and say, why in this darkest moment have you turned from me, O God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No, he quotes a reference in Psalm 22. Because he knows what's in the rest of the psalm that's about him. His body being broken, uh, his, his clothes being uh, gambled for. He says, God, why have you forsaken me? Because he's pointing at the rest of Psalm 22. But you, O Lord, be not far from me. They've turned against me. O God, don't be far from me. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Verse 24, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when I cried to him. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. It looked like the Roman government was destroying Jesus. It looked like the Jewish religious leaders were destroying Jesus, but in essence, they were completing the sacrifice that God had planned from the beginning of time. Because of that sacrifice, because of that wooden altar, every nation will hear and worship before the throne of God. Oh, we see Christ as the culmination of all that the Psalms have been pointing us to. We looked at Psalms of trust, belief in Him, hope in Him, trust in Him. Even in Jesus' darkest moment, He trusted. Even in our darkest moment, we can trust. We saw the Psalms of wisdom, God's thoughts, and His timing. Not, not just the way He thinks about things, but His timing is higher than ours. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 9 says. And so from the agony of the cross, Christ cries out. It's foreshadowed here in Psalm 3 in David's words as he is running from his city and his throne. This city that, that was a refuge, the city set on a hill. Yet in verse 3 he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. Selah means just to stop and ponder, to think about it. At first he said, there's many who are attacking me. They're surrounding me. They're everywhere. I don't know what I'm going to do. Stop and think about that. But now he says, there's a God who has heard. There's a God who knows. There's a God who is working. Stop and think about that even more. I love in verse 3 that David didn't pray. I don't know if you noticed this as we read it. David doesn't pray, God, be my shield. Everyone's coming against you. God, please be my shield. Here's what he says. God, you're my shield. Whether I see it or not, whether I feel it or not, God, you are my shield. God, you are my glory. That which I, I live for, that which brings my life hope and joy and fulfillment, it's you. Oh, how often we turn, though, to other glories. And when this life is too much for me, when it is overwhelming, when it's sad and discouraging, when the weight of this world has fallen on me, and I just want to hang my head and give up, you are the lifter of my head. David went through deep and dark discouragement, friends, just like us. We're told in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, that David in one of those moments of discouragement, when even his own men, the ones who were on his side, talked of stoning him, killing him because they'd just lost their families. 
we're told this, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. Do you ever get frustrated in your life? When you just can't seem to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? And here's what makes it worse. You're depressed, and every smiley, happy Christian that comes along says these helpful words. Stop it. Oh, thank you. I hadn't thought of that one yet. What a blessing you are to my life, brother or sister. I would like to send you to the mission field. You say, that, that's great advice. How do I do that? I've tried that. I feel stuck in my head. I feel stuck in these, these thoughts and feelings that are just reoccurring. And by the way, it's not leading me higher and higher. It's just spiraling down. I love that the Psalms give us a glimpse into the heart and mind of the psalmist. We're not told in 1 Samuel 30 what it meant for David to strengthen himself in the Lord, but I think here we see the pattern that David knew. So look at verse 4. He has reminded himself of who God is, and now he says, did you notice this? I cried aloud to the Lord. Kids, have you ever felt lost? Have you ever felt alone? Maybe picked on? Like no one is going to come and help you. It doesn't matter who you cry out to, asking them to help. There's nobody who's right there who can help you. Oh, the truth is, whether you are young or old, there is a God who has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Even if everybody else leaves you by yourself, God will not. You need to cry out in lament to God. You need to call on Him in prayer. At times, that is such an overwhelming, quiet desperation of heart and mind that you can't even make words come out of your mouth. And your cry to God only happens in your heart and your head. And at times, that's all right. Romans 8, 27 says that the Spirit of God searches the hearts and the minds of men. That he knows what you are thinking. He knows what your heart is crying out to him. But there's times. Sorry, so we're not saying God can't hear you. Here's what I'm saying. There's times where you need to hear you. You need to say it out loud with your lips. Because you need to be reminded of who your God is. You need to be reminded of where your help and your hope comes from. David has been king in Jerusalem. So we we studied through the the Psalms of Zion, the ones that talk about Jerusalem, this center of not just the political uh, nation, but also the the worship. It's symbolic throughout the Old Testament of where God has chosen to put his presence among his people. It's described as a city on a hill, as the center of the worship of God and the place where David's kingly throne was. And now what is he doing? He's running away from it. He's, as it were, looking back over his shoulder, running in fear for his life. Far from the worship of God. So many of these psalms come from the lips and the heart of David. And now he's running far from the place where God is worshipped. And he's looking over his shoulder at this city. He's looking at his throne, but he's looking past his throne to a higher king. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 6, asks this question, Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And yet God is not shaken by that because verse 4 says, He who sits in heaven laughs. God mocks them. God holds them in derision who think that they run this earth. Verse 5, he will speak to them in his wrath. He will terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king in Zion, my holy hill. Well, the Psalms of kingship remind us not just of David. David was a great and celebrated king, but he was a man with sins and flaws. And by the way, he's now dead and gone. No, his entire life. Every time we see him, it's meant to point us not towards the greatness of David, but the greatness of another king who was coming, of Christ the king who was coming. No matter what difficulty you are walking through, our God is able. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Not all we give him permission to do, Not all he hopes to do if everything works out right and people behave themselves. Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 6, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Because that is true, because he has said it and rehearsed it and meditated upon it, because he said it out loud so he could hear it with his own ears. Look at verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. How many times when you go through hardship, the first things to go is sleep? Maybe a loss of appetite is going to come along, but often a lack of sleep. You can't, you lay in bed at night and you can't fall asleep or you wake up early in the morning and you can't, you just can't shut it off. When worry and fear, when the what ifs of what might happen in the future or the what has happened in the past is playing over and over in your mind and you can't sleep, here's the therapy for your soul. Recount the faithfulness of God. Recount the faithfulness of God. That's why at least twice we've had homework in the family worship following the sermons on the Psalms that said, make a list of at least five times, five ways God has been faithful towards you in the past. List the ways that he has sustained you and that he is sustaining you right now. Remind yourself of who our God is. What is his true nature and character? Uh, The world would lie to us about God. God isn't powerful enough to deal with this situation. He's not good enough to deal with this situation. Oh, be reminded from the past of our God's goodness, from eternity backwards and forwards. This is the unchanging nature of our immutable God. And therefore, right now, he is at work sustaining me. He, I lay down and slept, and by the way, I woke up because he sustained me. I'm taking a breath right now because he sustained me. I didn't know how I was going to get through yesterday, but I did. I don't know how I'm going to make it through today, but I will. Why? Because he is sustaining me. Psalm 4, verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. 
how often wrongly do we look at our lives and say, uh, if only I could have this one thing, then I would lie down in safety. If I could have this one thing work out the way that I want, then I would be happy. Then I would be content and fulfilled. David says, my hope and my rest is not based on that one thing that I may or may not get. It is you alone, O Lord, that make me lie down in safety. It's knowing who our God is that we belong to him. And therefore, the Psalms of meditation remind us, fix your thoughts on that. All it takes is nothing in the moment of anxiety, and you will fix your thoughts on everything else. You don't have to work on it. It just happens. All you have to do is nothing. But if you are going to guard your heart and mind, you have to day by day, hour by hour, in fact, moment by moment, Fix your thoughts on God. Reorient your heart in line with his faithfulness. Remember, God has a history with you. Oh, we can forget that in the moment where we feel like everything's falling apart and I'm all alone. Remember, God has a history with you. He has been faithful to you in the past. He will be faithful in the future. And right now, he holds you in the palm of his hand. That was the lesson of the Psalms of history. It might be that between your cry of lament and your prayer of calling on God to action, you have to rehearse all of those things because you just can't get there. God, here's my, my lament. I wish things weren't like this, but when it comes to calling on God to act, you've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten where he is, seated upon the throne of heaven. You may need to prime your soul again in faith and out loud say, this is who my God is. So he says in verse 7, arise, O Lord. Many are crashing down against me to destroy me. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. That word arise in the Hebrew has the connotation within this context of God rising from his throne. Remember, David is fleeing from his throne in Jerusalem, and he's looking back and saying, God, it looks like Absalom is on the throne, but in reality, you are on the throne. Arise, O great king. Save me, O my God, for you Strike all my enemies on the cheek. I think the New American Standard gets the translation a little better. It doesn't put it in the, the current context. It sets it in the past. You have done this. You have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have broken the teeth of the wicked. It's as if David in this moment is looking back at all the times God has been faithful. God has been faithful and said, God, you did it then. You can do it now. I don't know what it's going to look like. It may not look like what I'm hoping for or praying for, but at the end of the day, I'm going to look back and go, God was faithful. I would never have chosen that road, but God was faithful. Here's what I've seen to be true of God in the past, and therefore here's what I believe today. We saw this uh, in David, 1 Samuel chapter 17, as he stands uh, as a boy facing Goliath, this giant that was intimidating a whole nation and army, and it says... The Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And he says, if that same God delivered me then, that same God will deliver me now. We're not told this is what is in his head. Oh, but doesn't it almost have to be that David would continue and say, the same God that defeated Goliath and every other enemy, that God is my hope right now. Friends, this is why you must rehearse the faithfulness of God. The same God that was faithful to me then is my hope right now. And yet he's facing a very real 
enemy. It's going to end in a very bloody confrontation. We find within the Psalms no shying away from that. In fact, the Psalms of imprecation may be a little bit of a stretch for us in this area. We've kind of grown up in uh, sort of a conservative Mennonite area uh, where sort of pacifism and, and non-resistance are, are the general tone that we find. Uh, and then we bump up against these Psalms that say fun things like, God, break the teeth of the wicked. And we go, I don't know if I can pray this. I don't know that I should read this. The psalmist is crying out against a very real enemy. The evil is too much for me to deal with. God, it has to be you. Psalm 89 is a great illustration of why the church can stand in hope for this. Praying, oh God, you've said righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Oh, that we would turn the Psalms into prayers in our moment of desperation. God, you know this is too big for me. You know the sin and the selfishness that dominates my own heart. In your perfect justice, would you sort this out? I'm not able to do it. God, my heart is a mixture of wanting the right thing, but also wanting my own vengeance where I feel I've been sinned against. Lord, would you bring those who would stand opposed to you the gift of repentance, just like you did for me? Would you open their eyes, just like you did for me, in your steadfast love that goes before you, in your faithfulness that goes before you? But for those who refuse your kindness and your righteousness, we pray, O oh God, give them no rest. Visit their sin back upon them. Remove your hand of blessing from them that they might turn to you. We're not praying destruction on anyone. We're not praying hell on anyone. We're praying heaven on them. But if they're going to get there, God, you have to pull the rug out from under them. In that moment, we have to say to ourselves, this moment is not about my strength, my power to deliver myself, or my power to change anyone else. We say with verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. In fact, let's just say that together. Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. Some of you forgot to look at your Bibles. It's Psalm 3, verse 8. Let's read it together. In the Bible you have open in front of you, salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. You should underline that. I don't know if you're into underlining things in your Bible. I would actually caution you to be a little careful with that. All of God's word is inspired, not just the parts that seem super special to you. But this is one of those verses to pin your life to. My eternal salvation comes from God. Not my good work or anything I can do. My salvation in this moment comes from God. And it will ultimately come from the hand of God and all I've been called to do is be faithful. Be obedient to his word and be faithful to his spirit. From that place, even in dark desperation, how many of the Psalms begin with desperation and what do they end with? Praise. The Psalms of praise, they don't come because everything started going our way. God, thank you for our new house. Let us praise you. God, thank you for our awesome family. Let us praise you. How how cheap would it be if we gathered? And one of the worship songs that came up, God, thank you for the giant rays and the piles and piles of money I have at home. Oh, let us praise the Lord together. 
That's wickedness. That's not actually praising God. That's praising me and the stuff that I have and that I want. No, the psalms of praise flow from an understanding of who our God is. Whether the sun is shining or every storm of hell is crashing down upon us, our God is worthy of our praise. He's the creator of all things. We saw that in the Psalms of creation. All things belong to him. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the people and those who dwell therein. Oh, our God rules all things. Our God owns all things. So here's the call to you, Christian, anchor your hope and your life in the unchanging goodness of God. Cling to his faithfulness in the storms of this life. Run to the Psalms as therapy for your soul, as a stronghold for your family. Oh, but if you're hearing this and you're either a non-Christian or you're a seriously drifted Christian and you feel far and distant from that kind of God, you feel beaten up and pushed down, here's the call. Lift your weary eyes to the Savior King. Not go buy this book and live your best life now. God forbid you live your best life now and then spend eternity separated from him because you figured out some good principles to live a happy life without Jesus. Oh, if you are distant from him, lift your eyes. That's it. R.C. Sproul rather famously said that the gospel is not a drowning man to whom God throws a life preserver, and it's all about us grabbing onto it, that the church therefore must make it attractive and, and induce the drowning person to grab onto it. He says, no, here's the true story of the gospel. That drowning man is dead and at the bottom of the ocean, and God reaches his hands down to the depths and plucks him out. That's your story. You're not here because you were smart enough to figure out the gospel. In fact, there's a chance that you're here this morning and you think you're too smart for the gospel. Oh, may God be gracious to you. May God show you his eternal kindness in leading you to the end of yourself. Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 summarizes that cry. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he might heal us. He has struck us down, but he will bind us up. Worship team, if you would come. As they're coming, there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I thought is so appropriate. We read it, I think, in the first week that we began to study the Psalms, and it said this, Trust in Christ or hope in Christ is the distinguishing token of God's people. In our most honest hours, we are driven to faith for comfort. In our prosperity, our eyes wander to other confidences. In our distress, they come back to Christ and his cross. When the head is aching, when the heart is throbbing, and death's sweat lies on the brow, none of us dare look to works or feelings or sacraments, but we cry, Hold thou thy cross before my failing eyes. Oh, if you feel like your life is failing and falling apart, I beg you this morning, look to the cross. Look to the altar of sacrifice on which God himself provided a way out from your sin. 
to that great place of exchange where all of our sin and unrighteousness that should eternally disqualify you from the presence of God for those who have faith in Christ is exchanged with his glory and righteousness and he took on himself our sin and punishment and death. Oh, if you're in Christ, hold to that this morning. As we come to the table of the Lord, let's declare that together. His body broken for me is my only hope. His shed blood is my only source of salvation. And if you are not a Christian here this morning, as those who believe in Christ come to the table, I would beg you not to come. I don't say that because we don't love you, because we don't want you here. I say that because you live in a really dangerous time. A time where the most popular version of Christianity out there says that God loves and accepts everyone and it stands in contradiction with the Bible that says there will come a day where everyone will stand before the throne of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But on that day, those who are found in Christ will be welcomed into eternal reward and those who have rejected him and have lived their own lives will hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. Do not come and proclaim, oh yeah, I think I'm good because I believe in Jesus. I prayed a prayer one time when I was eight and I take communion every time I show up at church. No, don't come. Don't, not because we're worried about you lying to us. Who cares? Don't lie to yourself. Apart from Christ, it is a desperate thing. Jonathan Edwards said, it is a fearful thing to stand in the presence of God, especially when it's an angry God. No, instead... Hebrews 10.23, and we'll close with this. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I want us to do something a little bit different for family worship this week. Usually in your bulletin, there's a list of family worship uh, reading and then questions to go through. This week, I'd like you to use the Psalms as a prayer guide, and read together Psalm 4. We, we read a couple verses out of it today. It's coming immediately after Psalm 3. Read it together, verse by verse, and then pray it back to God. It, with each step that you read, pray it back to God. It, train your soul to look to God's word for hope. And then one more thing, and I I think this is important, especially for those who struggle. It's not good enough for us to say, look to the scripture, but not give you any tools to do that. Uh, Out on the Welcome Center in the foyer, out in the hallway, uh, is a little paper that I called Finding Hope on the Mountain of Trouble. If you feel like you're in one of those places where you're barely holding on, grab one of these and write it down. God, here's my lament. Here's the thing in my life that I wish wasn't like this. But then remind yourself, here's here's the times, God, you've been faithful to me. Remind yourself, here's what I know to be true about God. God, here's five ways you're sustaining me right now. And some of them may be simple. This is just grounding yourself in what is real. God, my feet are standing uh, on this platform. It's not collapsing because you're holding it together. God, you're giving me breath in my lungs. If you can't come up with anything else... uh, Point to the fact that you're alive right now. Write your prayer, your call to action. Write God's history with you. As we saw in Psalm 3, verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Retell the story of it. And then write your confidence in God. Once you have the whole thing, then and literally write it down, then spend some time praying through it. God, here's what's wrong. 
God, here's what I need you to do. God, here's what I know to be true about you. When you get done with that, pray through Psalm 3. But as we come to the table, I want us to just ask us to examine our hearts, to spend some time in light of the good news of God's great salvation towards us. And say, Lord, examine me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Something that I'm, I'm covering up or I'm making excuses for. God, let this be the day that I'm done with that. You are a great and saving God. Would you stand together and pray with me? Father, we acknowledge the desperateness of our situation apart from Christ. Lord, this world has a really attractive message that we would love to believe. That is, everyone is basically good, so just follow your heart and do whatever your heart tells you is right. But here's what our history tells us, and here's what your word tells us, that my heart is desperately sick. It is deceitful above all things. Who can know how bad it really is? God, my heart has lied to me again and again, but your word is faithful forever. And so we pray in this moment, oh God, would you examine our hearts in light of your word? Oh, by the gracious gift of your spirit, would you bring us to see our own sin and the gracious glory of the cross, that our hope might be found in Jesus and not ourself, that our salvation might be found in our Savior and not some church or our own understanding. We look to you alone, O God. And in this moment, as we, we pray together, you can just cry out to God where you are. O God, I feel distant from you. Save me. God, I'm not even sure if I believe in you. Would you open my eyes to see what's true and real? God, I've let sin creep into my life and has begun to dominate everything. I repent of it. I turn from it. I turn to you in faith and hope that you are a God who saves to the uttermost. Lord, your people look to you now. So we say, do your good work of salvation. For the sake of your great name and glory, we pray it. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.